You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. Hello. So in 2016, I graduated from UEA after spending four years learning how to make plays. And I found myself in a coffee shop spending seven days a week learning how to make artisan coffee. In Holt, where I live, it was called World's Deli. And I was livid. I was very, very mad. I was very angry that I didn't have any money and that I couldn't afford to go to London, which is what lots of my peers had done. I was very angry that my parents ran a vintage clothes shop in Sheringham and didn't run the National Theatre. So I could have a way in to go and work in the business that lots of my peers had done as well. Um, And I was very angry that I'd have to spend seven days a week with people I thought I already knew. I thought they would be um, unambitious, the people I was working in the cafe with. I thought they would be um, settlers instead of dreamers or doers. And so I thought we'd see the world very differently. I thought because I was in Holt and I'm gay and openly gay that I would be the only gay person there and everyone else will be homophobic or straight because it's Holt. <laughs> and at, at best, they wouldn't understand me and feel very uncomfortable talking about my life, or at worst, I would be a punchline to the jokes in the workplace and they would be homophobic. And I was also angry that I wouldn't get to write seven days a week. I thought if I wasn't sat behind a laptop reading and writing all the time, I wouldn't learn anything about being a writer. Um, and so I masked all of those anxieties at work by being very aloof, And um, I didn't really talk to people. I didn't really listen to people. I got through the day by telling myself rather grandiosely, it's really one that I'm an actor playing the part of a waiter. (laughs) And so I would go there. I would be the very best waiter I could, but I wouldn't be myself. I'd be very cold, and then I'd go home. And I did this for a week or two, and I got very, very sad because it felt very, very lonely, and I felt like I wasn't being myself. And then one Sunday, I arrived early at the deli, and I saw Hayley. And Hayley is a woman I work with who I put a lot of judgment on. I'd seen her around for two weeks working there and hadn't really spoken to her, just so I hadn't spoken to anybody. Um, and she was a woman with a very thick Norfolk accent who was Norfolk born and bred. And so I thought, I knew who she is. I thought I'd made judgment about that. Um, she was a woman with very bad teeth and who would come to work very, very scruffily dressed, who would smell of weed and alcohol. And so I put a judgment on that, thinking I knew who she was. And she was 40, and she was working with lots of teenagers and 20-somethings, and I put a judgment on that and thought I knew who she was. And this day I walked in the cafe, she was crying. And I asked her why she was crying, and she told me she was crying because today was the first anniversary of her husband's death. And um, she hadn't really been able to look after herself since then. She kind of hadn't had the confidence to kind of get up and get dressed and get clean, and was dealing with that by smoking a lot and drinking a lot. And she told me she was very, very sad that day because a year ago she'd realised that she'd promised to open a cafe with her own husband and now that was never going to happen. And she was working in a cafe with people who were younger than her. But while she couldn't be motivated to get up and get dressed and get clean, she had to get up every day and go to work because she had three sons to keep. And suddenly I stopped looking at her and putting a judgement on her and I started seeing her. And I stopped playing the part of a waiter and responded to it as me. And I made a laugh, and that's kind of how I think I deal with everything. I think if you can laugh at the world, you're bulletproof. And in that moment, I wanted to make her laugh and feel better. And she made me laugh too and feel better. And we became really chatty and had a cuddle that day. And at the end of the shift, she asked me for a drink. 
and we went to the pub and talked for hours and we realised we had so much in common that wasn't books or theatre, but a shared sense of humour and um, just a shared way of seeing the world. And the day after, I couldn't wait to come back to work because I was looking forward to learning more about Hayley. I was looking forward to Hayley helping me learn more about myself and I was looking forward to laughing because that's something I hadn't done for a long time at that point. And in stopping looking at Hayley and judging her, but actually seeing her, I started seeing everyone else I was working with. And I was seeing that lots of the younger people I was working with were behaving how I'd behaved previously. They weren't being themselves, they were playing the part of waiters. And I knew how corrosive that was and how irritating that was and how much joy I'd found in being myself with Hayley. And so we asked everyone for a drink. And a few people said yes that night, but by the end of the week, by the end of the month, everyone was coming for a drink with us. And we were starting to get to know each other as people. So I went there assuming that no one would be ambitious, everyone would be settlers. I learned through talking to people instead of judging people that Hayley wanted to run that cafe. I learned that Georgia wanted to be a female bodybuilder. I learned that Evie wanted to go to NUA and learn how to draw. And suddenly, because we were talking, we were motivating each other to do those things. We were consoling each other when we were failing, and we were kind of encouraging each other when we were getting closer to being who we wanted to be and what we wanted to do. I'd assumed when I first started there that I would be the only gay person there. And in talking to people, instead of judging people, I learned that a third of the workforce were either lesbian, bi, gay, or queer, and the rest of the workforce didn't give a shit about it. <laughs> and suddenly, we were going to gay bars together, we were going to see drag queens together, we were standing up for each other when any customer came in and thought it was okay to be rude to us, and that was the first time in our life we felt like we had a gang, and we found it in the most unlikely place. And when I first started working there, I was very, very reluctant about doing it because I thought I would learn nothing about writing and it would hinder my development as a playwright. And I think the year and a half I've spent there is the best training I've had as a writer. I was spending seven days a week, 52 weeks a year with people. I was sharing their birthdays with them, their anniversaries with them. I was going to funerals with them. I was going to their engagement drinks. I was seeing their kind of Monday mornings and their Friday nights. I was just seeing them all the time. And I was learning about people in a way I couldn't have done if I was just sat behind a laptop. I was sharing the same bit of lino for nine hours a day with 10 people watching the clock. I was learning the effect that space and time and place were having on human beings, which is now kind of invaluable to me as a playwright. Um, and I, in getting to know these people, I was seeing what they weren't saying for nine hours a day because they had to say, do you want a table for two? Are you ready to order? So I, but I was learning about how they were feeling through how they were stacking sandwiches or how they were cutting vegetables or how they came to work. I was learning about subtext. I was learning about how we're all so vulnerable to say how we feel and what we want, but who we are is revealed through how we behave, and our inner life is revealed through our interaction. And then in 2018, I was sacked, and I wasn't, thank you for gasping, I wasn't sacked for misconduct. I was sacked because they thought I was ready to go. They were kind of saying, you were doing fewer and fewer shifts here because writing was taking off, and if we don't tell you to go, you might stay here forever. And so a job that I thought would kind of hinder my writing kind of gave me the kick up the arse to pursue it full time. And I've stayed in touch with everyone I work with there, and they've done exactly the same for Hayley, who now co-runs her own restaurant. Georgia is now working as a nurse and a semi-professional bodybuilder, and Evie is left to NUA to go and do arts. Um, I still write in that cafe whenever I'm back in Holt, and I still cover a shift them whenever I can, because I love them so much. But I wanted to end this by thinking, when I was thinking about it, why they mean so much to me, of all the friendships I have. And I've kind of landed on this. I think school friends and uni friends, our relationship is built on reminiscence. And I think lots of my adult and professional friends is built on a mutual love of the art and um, 
a love of our jobs, we're writers. But they don't know me as a peer or a classmate, and they don't know me as a writer, they just know me as James. And I think that's why they mean so much to me. When it's taken me a very long time to know James and like James outside of writing, um, because I grew up gay and found that very, very difficult. I internalized so much shame and didn't like myself. And I sought, I felt invisible because of that. I didn't see myself reflected in any social group or any text I had to study in literature or any history I had to study at school. And so I felt inferior, I felt invisible. And I tried to find visibility and prove that I wasn't inferior by being very academic, which my school friends kind of validates that exterior facet of me when I see them and reminisce. And in adult life, I've kind of sought to prove that I'm not inferior and get validation through success as a writer. And lots of my professional friends validate that external facet of me. And whilst both external components are validated by those friendships, that kind of un, um, that interior self still often feels unseen and unloved because I'm still working through so much shame. But in meeting those deli babies, as I've come to call them, um, they don't know me as a classmate. They don't know me as a writer. They've only known me as me. And they like that person. And they've introduced me to that person. And I'm gradually beginning to like that person too through the friendships we've had together. So I'm very grateful to them. And I'm very grateful to you for listening. Thank you very much. James McDermott. Thank you. True Stories Live is a story show and story finding project brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website, truestorieslive.co.uk.